I'd like to give a warm welcome to a good friend of mine, born in Germany, raised briefly in the Midwest, and currently residing somewhere warm and beautiful. She is the author of one of the greatest books I've acquired during my self-healing journey. It's called You're Not Crazy, You're Codependent, which focuses on finding peace after dealing with addiction, abuse, trauma, and toxic shaming. My favorite quote from her book is that there's never a point when you're fixed. It's a continual process of revelation, relapse, and renewal. Today, we're going to discuss codependency a little different than the episode that I did last season with Crystal Mazzola. Stay tuned. JP Productions. You are now listening to the Sierra Unraveled podcast. This space was created to inspire, to encourage, and to connect all those who have gone through life and managed to stay sane. I mix my own personal drama, (laughs) I mean trauma, mental health, motherhood, domestic violence awareness, spirituality, and a whole lot of Sierra Unraveled. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Sierra Unraveled, Jeanette. I'm so glad we're finally able to get you on the show. We've been communicating on and off for quite some time now, um, and you're just over there enjoying your life and not giving a crap about what other people think. And that's what all codependent people should be doing. We'd be much happier just focusing on ourselves. But then the codependent part kicks in and makes us feel guilty about doing so. So it's like this never-ending battle. But I'm really glad to have you here today and everything that we're going to talk about. Hopefully it's fruitful for someone. Well, I'm so glad to be here. And I hope that somewhere along the line, there's little nuggets here and there that help somebody out there. I'm sure it will. So in the beginning of your book, you mentioned that you're not a professional expert in the field of codependency, simply just a person who has lived through all the problems it's created and you're just healing from it. And you basically just wanted to share what's worked with you with what made you decide to write a book about all of that? I'm an avid reader and very curious. And uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've been dealing with so many of these codependency related issues throughout my life that I've been doing throughout the years, a lot of research and a lot of reading. And at this point in time, I had gotten through a very, very dark time relating to our family. And I had this urge to put down everything that I had learned from dealing with life, with all these issues that I had to deal with, and learning how to work around them and through them. I felt as if this book just sort of came through me. Really, I've never experienced anything like that since. Everything else I've done creatively, I've really had to think about and work on. And and this literally just came through me. It's like I couldn't type fast enough. So I just started writing. Had you written a book before that or? No, I've never written a book, but I have been writing um, for money since I was 16. I wrote a, uh, a weekly column in our little town newspaper. And then throughout my career in advertising and marketing, I did a lot of writing in that regard. But when we moved back to the Midwest 12 years ago, actually it's almost 20 years ago, I was afforded an opportunity to go to work writing a weekly column for a daily newspaper. And I also 
wrote and contributed articles for a couple of art-related magazines. So my passion has always been writing. You talk a lot about your, like, your personal experiences. Was it hard for you to get that all on paper and then release it to the world? Absolutely. It was... <laughs> It was um, humiliating in some places. And, you know, I had to take into consideration that family members might be reading this. And I didn't think that their reaction to this was going to be positive because, you know, in dysfunctional families, we absolutely do not talk about things, let alone talk about it out to the world. And also I had to think about my daughters. So I left a lot of things out, but this book would not be worth anything if I didn't share my own experiences, because then all the reader would have is somebody whose opinion she's writing about. As I stated in the book, I don't have initials after my name. What I wrote about is what worked for me. And I wanted to share that in hopes that it would help someone else. I think a big part of it too, like it's been probably a year since I read it originally. It wasn't like you were just specifically focusing on all the negative or criticizing people it was more so like you internalize a lot of it like what it did to you like how you coped with it how it made you feel and then the best part of the book in my opinion are all the solutions and action points that you included to kind of help others who might be codependent self-reflect and move past it in the way that you were able to so because you're talking a lot about codependency can you give a brief definition about what codependency is? Yeah, it's one of those big words that's become sort of a catch-all for a lot of different things. But yeah, and I and again, being immersed in the subject, I sometimes forget that not everyone else is that into it. But simply put, codependency is a group of learned behaviors that a person develops due to a dysfunctional past. And that causes these individuals to lose themselves, literally, while living to fix enable, please, and control others. We do this in the hope of fending off rejection, which is the root of all of our fears. This is um, the basis of codependent behavior, and it'll steal your personality, your health, and your soul if you don't address it. I'm always curious if there are, like, what the percentage is of people who have been in domestic violence relationships that they are also codependent. I'm not sure how many studies there have been done. That's definitely something I would love to look into because I do feel strongly that most people that end up in domestic intimate partner violence relationships are indeed codependent. Well, here's the thing. It's cyclical. And if you grew up in a home where there was domestic violence, emotional abuse, physical abuse, neglect, all these things. This is all you know come mm-hmm. when you mature into the world. And this is what you're going to attract because you aren't healthy. You're simply not healthy enough to attract a healthy person into your world. As a matter of fact, when a codependent person starts to feel normal and happy, guess what? They feel bored. They sense danger, they shut down, they make the relationship go away because they can't handle it. What they're comfortable with is what they know. And when I say they, of course I'm talking about myself. So what you see when you grow up is what you repeat when you're older. And you can't, you can't make it go away until you start working on yourself and you find out why am I this way? 
how come this keeps happening to me? Why do I keep letting this go on? And until you make a decision to do the work, and there's a lot of work involved, reading a book and saying, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I can't help it. That's the way I am. Until you're ready to do the work, nothing will change. But you can change, and you can get healthy, and you can have normal relationships. You just have to make up your mind that you're worth it. Yes, definitely. So the things that kind of lead into codependency, one, like your environment that you grew up in, but also other things like, I know you talked about in your book, just like having dysfunctional past. Can you touch on that a little bit? Audience can get a little bit of background um, if they haven't read your book yet. On my background? Sure. Yes. In a nutshell, my father was a chronic alcoholic and my mother was the original caretaker. She worked herself to the bone, keeping everything in the house perfect, working a job, taking care of him, and pretending that everything was fine. So she was always exhausted, short-fused, angry, and she took it out on us, the children. And the way that she did that was by emotional neglect, just not giving any kind of love, any kind of affirmation, and sort of putting all of her anger and despair and unhappiness on us. So she took care of my dad. When he needed to be picked up from drinking, she went and got him. When he needed cigarettes, she would go and get it. But we absolutely were not allowed to talk about it in our own home. We, we could not talk about it. We just were told to ignore it. So we spent a lot of time in separate rooms ignoring each other, which was sad. And there was other things, you know, more violence and all of that. But that's for another time. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that can play a huge role in just your whole upbringing and even writing the book, too. Well, I'm not sure when exactly the book was published and really and where you were in your journey of healing your um, codependency. But do you feel like your relationship with them changed once the book came out? No. No, it didn't change once the book came out. I didn't tell them the book was out. <laughs> I, I, sort of, I sort of did it in secret because I knew, because I know my family, and I knew I wasn't healthy all the way back then, and I was terrified of rejection. And things were good anyway. So no, I published this book, but they didn't even know about it. My kids did. My daughters did because they helped me in some ways with it. But my nuclear family. No, I never really even talked about it with them. But it caused me, it was a springboard for me. As I wrote, I kept learning more and more about myself. And as I said in the book, codependency is an addiction. And once you're codependent, it's like being an alcoholic. You may be sober for 20 years, but every single day you have to make up your mind that you're not going to listen to that lie that tells you, I'm not good enough. You know, those types of things. I can't do it. I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve this. Those are all lies. It's like saying you need a drink. Well, no, I don't. But you have to face it every single day. You have to decide what you're going to listen to and how you're going to live your life every single day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, what are the typical symptoms besides like poor self-esteem probably um, that one who is codependent usually deals with? I myself included. <laughs> well, you have a track record of failed relationships. You um, overcommit and then you end up resenting it and dropping out and feeling guilty. You quit jobs a lot. You can't see things through to the end. 
And more than anything, you're just basically a miserable person and you can't understand why you just can't be happy no matter what you do because you're not really functioning from a healthy base. And what would you say your healthy base is? To know who you are and be able to live authentically and accept the fact that you have flaws and that's okay. You had a screwed up childhood, yes, but it does not need to run your life anymore. You're an adult. This is what I tell myself every day. (laughs) It's now time for you to take responsibility for your own actions. Only you can be held accountable. (laughs) That's right. Very good. It's that. (laughs) It's that. And making up your mind, you're not going to listen to that. People call it the parent in your head. I just, all these old tapes, forgive my oldness there, but all these (laughs) These, these messages in our head that just won't go away. But eventually you learn, you wake up and you say, no, that's not true anymore. That's not who I am. And so you start feeding yourself tools to live a stronger, more healthy life. Some of those tools are reading good books, finding a counselor that gets you, And there's places to go where you can get counseling that doesn't cost a dime. When I was involved in a church, I became licensed as a a Christian counselor. And those are free. And people told me I made a huge difference for them. I don't do that anymore, but that option is out there. Also, um, listening to things like meditations and visualizations and Any kind of positive input you can put into your mind that will combat all these old, rotten, used-up ideas that are still living in there. Yes, no, I think that's super important, especially if you grew up where that wasn't always around. You're not going to know that you need them or even know what to do with them when you start receiving them. So it takes some time, and I think that definitely was an area that I'm still working on with like listening to meditation and making sure I'm doing my self-care and stuff. Because before I started this whole healing journey, I did, I was like, why do I need to do that? I don't have time to do that. And now I make time to do it. And it's made such a huge difference. Absolutely. And the other thing is we, in some, at some level, we tell ourselves we're not worthy of this or that we don't need it for years and years. I told myself, I can't meditate. I just can't meditate because my mind is all over the place. I've got my to-do list going in my head. I'm criticizing the way that the person is doing the meditation. My body's twitching. I have to sneeze. You know, everything is, I can't do this. But then I found, (laughs) this is me. This is me, my first like couple months trying to meditate. I'm like, I don't know how people sit in silence for 30 minutes. It's crazy. So, but you have to be persistent, Sierra. So I did find out that I can do guided visualization, give my brain something to work on while I'm sitting here and I'm happy. And that way I can receive this positive input, but my brain is also creating a scenario and doing some work, but it's good stuff. It's not my to-do list. Mm -hmm. Good stuff that I'm creating for myself. So I believe that if you really want something to work, you'll figure a way out to do it. And it works for me. Yes. No, I agree with that. If you want it that bad, you'll go and get it. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You talked a little bit in your book about a spiritual component playing a, 
I'd say pretty big role in your whole process of handling codependency and whatnot. Can you um, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. And I do talk about it extensively in the book, but before I get into it, I just want to point out something interesting. I have gotten some scathing reviews from people who said, this book is way too biblical. Oh, yes. I remember. I was like, what is wrong with these people? Why can't we just love everyone? (laughs) It takes a lot of guts to do what you did. So I was upset. Yes. Well, the flip side of that is I lost a whole segment of Christian readers because it wasn't biblical enough because I quoted Buddha and other leaders of other spiritual beliefs. I also quoted Jimmy Buffett, but the fact is uh, you can't please everybody. You have to read the book and take what's in it that's working for you and let the rest go. But So yes, the spiritual component, I believe, is almost the most important one. And it's not about being Christian. It's not about a religion. It's about acknowledging that you can't do this by yourself. And this is the basis of AA. And I understand that there are people who absolutely do not believe in a higher power, and I respect that. So maybe this just isn't the book for you. But personally, I can't imagine taking on something as heavy as this and feeling like you're utterly, absolutely alone in the effort. I know that when I was going through a certain period with my younger daughter, who went through a very, very dark phase with drugs and a very dangerous lifestyle, I spent a lot of time on my knees. I literally was on my knees daily, praying, crying, hands up in the air. And it took years. But that situation has worked itself out, and she has been clean for 13 years. Wow. 13 years. Um, So nobody's ever going to convince me that there isn't something greater than ourselves out there that wants nothing but the best for us. Okay, back to the original concept. When you're unhappy, when something is misaligned in your life, it's the tribunal, the body, the mind, and the spirit, where you cannot have something wrong in one aspect and not have it wrong in the other two. You just can't, because we are made up of those three things. So I do talk about ways to heal the spirit in the book. So I don't know um, where you want to go with that, but my feeling is that it's one of three very, very important legs. I always like, I just did an interview and we did talk about God, but I also, I'm just like, I don't want to turn off people to being open to the idea of starting a journey to be spiritual and just really understanding themselves if it's going to save their life. But also like the people that are, for instance, the one that ones that gave you bad reviews um, or you lost your audience because it wasn't religious enough. It's like, well, you're also like missing the point because someone who's in the middle, like I was, I didn't know where else to turn. I think I was at a point where I was like so far gone that I was like, there's nothing else I can do but start to pray because I don't know how anything's ever going to get better. That's the point you have to get to. And in my book, I call it your battle position is on your knees. That's how you need to fight this is on your knees. Now, again, I am not pushing anything in this book or now, but you can't help but admit that when you're miserable, your life isn't working, you don't feel good. Tell me your soul isn't hurting. And for people to just 
shut it down because, oh my God, she has a Bible verse in there or she talks about God. I don't know. It all comes down to not feeling great about who you are or secure about who you are. Yeah. And once you're open to just being open and again, take what works for you and leave the rest, but you don't have to be hateful about it. You'll learn so much more too. You're really just holding yourself back, which is kind of a good transition to the next thing I'm going to ask you. But Mm. when people are just so pessimistic and just not willing to just maybe, I don't know, it's like their wall, their preconceived notions are there up front. So when they're reading, they're not even actually digesting any of the information that could be beneficial to them because it's like their blinders are on. They're not able to even understand where you're coming from when really that's what's holding them back. You know, you're not going to get anything out of any book until you're open to receiving the message. And maybe it's just not the time for them. Um, When you're ready, when you're truly ready, when you're truly hungry and you're open and you're begging for some answers, not just wanting to judge thoughts that are out there, then you'll get some benefit from it. And not every book has everything that you'll ever need in it. There's a lot of good books on codependency. And when I started writing this book, I thought, oh, my God, there's how am I even going to be seen? You know, and it was a self-published book. But then I realized, you know what? Every week there's a brand new best-selling diet book or a brand new best-selling cookbook. There's never an end to it. So my feeling is because in this book I do address some more up-to-date, useful tools, such as um, somatic therapy and mindfulness. And also, I I really require the reader to get involved in this book. I'm not just talking to you. As I said in the beginning of the book, this is your story. I'm just helping you write it. So the, the reader really has to want to learn. And to do that, you have to get involved. You have to be willing to do the work. Yes, I've I have so many notes from when I read your book. <laughs> I could probably make a workbook out of it. Well, that's good. And that's what I tell people because when you go back a year from now, three years, five years, you're going to be amazed at the progress you've made. And make notes when you go back. This is 2023 and you know this is how far I've come from that original post. It, it's such a great reinforcement. Yes, I'm super grateful for you just putting this book out there, even despite being concerned that it, that it might not reach enough people. I feel like it really will reach the ones that it needs to. Oh, it's reached a lot of people. I can tell you that every, every month on Amazon, I can see exactly where my books are being sold. It's being sold all over the world. Mm -hmm. It's being sold in Europe, Japan, India, Canada, my gosh, you name it. It's, uh, there's, it's being sold everywhere. And it's incredible because it, it's made such a huge impact in my life. Whew, the book, it took me a while to get through because it's not something you can rush. But to have it as a reference point, especially for someone who has never heard of the term codependency or is like questioning why they are doing certain things, like what patterns they keep seeing come back into their life and they don't know why. It's a really good starting point because I don't think I'd be where I am right now if I didn't pick up that book. I know that's giving really high praise to you, but I'm so, so grateful. I, I'm so honored and I'm I'm humbled. But I did want to maybe point out some traits that a codependent person will have because not everybody can has put it together. 
they think, oh, I'm just depressed or I'm just um, angry. But can I put out there some personality traits that are very common in codependent people? There is endless and needless guilt, ongoing anxiety, terrible self-esteem, anger and or rage problems, sexual dysfunction, perfectionism, highly controlling, depression, tendency toward addictive behavior, a history of dysfunctional relationships. Now, those are just the personality types, but then you get into mental and emotional issues as far, excuse me, as health issues, and there's autoimmune problems. Your body can't fight things because you're just so unhappy all the time and miserable. Digestive issues, clouded thinking, premature aging, skin problems, fatigue, and it goes on and on. And over time, as I go into in the book, these things, they snowball into heavy, bigger diseases if we don't take charge of ourselves. So what do we do? What are the, is there a cure? And if there's not, what are things that we can do that will shift us away from being codependent? What a big, great question. (laughs) I don't think (laughs) there isn't one thing you do. It is a daily walk where you are constantly being the most important thing, Sarah, is what I talk about is mindfulness. And John Kabat-Zinn defines mindfulness as the simple act of observing yourself without judgment. And that's almost impossible for codependent people because we live to judge, especially Mm -hmm. ourselves, Mm -hmm. because we're so insecure. But when you take that extra breath, that one-tenth of a second before you speak, before you do something, before you allow yourself to believe that thought that just popped into your head, observe, is this truth? Is this helping me to get where I want to be? Is this going to show the person I want to be or who I have been. We have to become mindful of how we walk in the world every minute of the day, but not in a paranoid way, which is what so many of us are used to because we're so afraid of judgment and rejection. So it's a hard thing. I know everybody's talking about mindfulness these days, and that's because it works. But the question is, how do I get over codependency? The first step is to become, have a truthful look at who you are. And I do go into this in the book. Who am I really? You got to look at your your personality. You got to look at your health. You got to look at the way you're living. You got to look at the person you're putting out there in the world and the people you hang around and the environment you create for yourself. Is this what you want? Is this what you're going to settle for? The same old, same old that makes you so unhappy? Are you going to make a change? And then you have to decide what you want. Be purposeful, determined. And make whatever sacrifices you have to make. And it it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. But those tiny little successes just make you feel like, yes, I can do this. And by the way, the people who enjoy the fact that you're codependent and a caretaker and a fixer and have learned to shut up and do what you're told and not mind your own needs, they don't want you to heal, Sierra. They don't want you to get better. And they will they will gladly see themselves out of your life. And when you get to a point where you're like, okay, bye, <laughs> you know you're moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's what they do. 
but more often than not, they get up in your business and want do everything they can to keep you the same because they don't want you to get healthy. How would that make them look? So you have to really take the blinders off and be honest about where you are in your life. Does that help? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> There's a lot there. We just unpacked a lot there. We did. It's just, oh, it's, I don't know. It's a never ending journey, which I'm super grateful for because I'm, I've learned so much and just constantly wanting to learn more, I think has played a big role in the growth that I've seen with myself. Just being able to recognize and acknowledge why I'm doing something or wanting to do something different about what I'm, whatever it is I'm doing, I feel like is improvement on its own, even though it's small, it's still improvement for me to become the person that I'd like to be in the future. And as a good role model for my daughter, like, I want to be clear that I'm aware that there are people, many people in situations where they don't have the luxury of being mindful right now. You know, they may be in an abusive relationship. I was, and I remember at the time when I was being beaten by this man earlier on in life, I wasn't thinking about, is this the life I want? No, I was thinking about survival and killing myself because I was believing the lies he told me, which were basically, nobody's going to want you. I'm the only person that will ever love you. And, you know, you're not worth anything. So I get it. You can't do these things when you're in the middle of a storm. But the storms never last forever. And you do have to take some time. You have to have a minute where you can go into a different room and just have a thought that's your own and ask yourself, how am I going to get out of this? How, what do I need? How do I have to, what do I have to do to get the strength to get out of this situation? Because if you don't, you're going to be one of the thousands and thousands of people who just live their life in a miserable situation, lose hope, never fulfill any kind of dreams. You lost your dreams a long time ago. And guess what? Your kids will live the same way. So I just want you to, I want listeners to understand, I, I understand that you, this isn't something that you do when you're in the middle of a crisis. This is something you do when you're have a moment to think. I feel like that those moments, like I'm involved in some Facebook groups of survivors or they're currently in domestic violence relationships now that I'm out and I've been out for three years now. <laughs> I'm always celebrating. Good for you. But when I <laughs> thank you. I've been really cautious and careful because I'm like, okay, we can't go back here again. But I I see that those moments of reflection and just the where you regain your thoughts and your control of who you are. Yeah. I I'm like they're asking like what do I do now in my free time? Well, you should be educating yourself. You should be really learning to enjoy your company alone because if you don't enjoy your company alone, how can you really appreciate someone else and then that you're just welcoming that same situation to keep resurfacing. You are. You are. And the other thing that people do is they think they immediately have to jump to another relationship because they absolutely don't feel like a whole person and they need someone to make them complete. To validate them. Yeah. yeah. To make them feel whole. Mm-hmm. No, that's so much work. <laughs> and it always leads I'm so over it. I don't ever want to go back there again. <laughs> well, I hear you. It inevitably leads to the same result. And until 
a person becomes okay with themselves and they realize no other person can make you happy. Somebody to take care of you is not going to make you happy. You have to find out who you are and learn to like yourself. I'm not going to say love because one thing at a time. First, we have to learn to accept ourselves and then like ourselves and then learn to love ourselves with all of our faults. But jumping from one relationship to another because we feel like that's what we have to have because that's what we're used to is just encouraging the cycle to continue. Correct. And also for codependence, it's not even really that someone needs to take care of you. It's that you want to take care of them. You're right. You can't do that either. They have to take care of themselves. Because we're too scared to look inside and find out what we need, who we are, what do I want. We're so shut off from ourselves, we don't even think about that. You're right. You go from one relationship to, oh, that poor man, I could really help him out and it would feel so good to just love him. Or that woman, she needs somebody to take care of her. I could do that. It's all coming from the same sick place and it's not going to lead to happiness. Yes. I definitely want to um, ask you, I know in my most recent episode that I just did, I talked a lot about forgiveness and I know we noted here that we talked about your book breaking down um, into including lies that have kept you in bondage and truths that expose them. Yes. Um, And in that section, you do talk about forgiveness and your view on that is different from what you usually hear and read, which is that you have to forgive in order to heal. And you say the opposite. Is that correct? That's right. I believe that forgiveness is the last step in healing, not the first. And to forgive anybody else, we have to forgive ourselves first. But before we can forgive ourselves, we have to go through the process of facing our shortcomings and working through them. I write that we give our precious power away when we refuse to forgive. And that's not news. But We have to get mentally strong enough through working on ourselves and learning to forgive ourselves before we make the decision to forgive another person. And many times that forgiveness is done in quiet on a daily, even hourly basis. Deciding to forgive somebody else doesn't mean it has to be a big emotional scene. And it sure doesn't mean we continue to let the other person hurt us in the name of making concessions. And it may mean that we never have anything to do with them again. But I don't believe you can forgive somebody if you're not a fully healthy person. If you know who you are and you know what has been done to you and you're ready to forgive, that's the order it should go in. But to just say, okay, I forgive you and then I'm going to go work on myself. Honey, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You're going through the motions, but that's not real. And you'll be frustrated and all the feelings will still be there. So how I sum it up in the book is that forgiveness gives you power. It fills you with a sense of being bigger than your circumstances and certainly bigger than those who took so much from you. This empowers you to grow even stronger, and it gives roots in a firm belief system that will carry you through the hard times ahead. So Sierra, first we have to get honest and forgive ourselves for just doing the best we could in a bad situation and maybe making some terrible mistakes, terrible choices and having to live with that. That's a huge part of forgiveness is being able to forgive ourselves for those things. And until we do that, I don't believe we have it in us 
to really forgive other people because that's like pointing the finger when you haven't even dealt with your own stuff. Know what I mean? That's true. Forgiving other people is a lot of work in and of itself, but also that same amount of work should be coming to you first because then it'll be easier to forgive them. Like I feel that a lot of people don't understand still my co-parenting relationship and I always give him the benefit of the doubt, even everything we've gone through. Like I still do my best to not talk poorly about him because again, at the end of the day, I know he's doing the best that he can. But it took me a lot to get there and I had to look at myself a lot first too. And I can't expect other people to understand because nine times out of 10, they haven't done the work on themselves either. So they're not going to That's exactly right. And then you'll be frustrated because they don't understand. They may think, what do you mean you're forgiving me? I should be forgiving you because you did this, that, and the other thing. So in order to truly forgive, you have to be on a firm foundation of who you are and take responsibility for what you've done. And forgive yourself of those things and be strong enough to forgive. Forgiving takes a lot of strength. And I don't believe you can find that strength if you're not standing on your own two feet saying, I accept who I am, I accept what I did, and I've learned to forgive myself. And then you can forgive the other person. And they won't be able to rock you if they don't receive it. And if they don't receive it, you still soar because at the end of the day, you're comfortable with who you are. And that is like... Oh, it's amazing. It's a good place to be. There's a little caveat. You're dealing with people who may not have done any work on themselves. So they may turn around and try to manipulate you. Well, if you forgive me, then you'll let me move back in. Or if you forgive me so much, then you shouldn't mind if I want to do this, this, and this, even though those things hurt you terribly. No, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's manipulation. And if you've done... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I'm getting excited. You can forgive them and close the door. Nope. I forgive you, but I'm not going to deal with this anymore. So again, you can't do that if you're not standing strong on your own foundation. So work on yourself first and then choose to forgive when it's right for you. And when you're doing that too, it's like, hopefully you've already done the work on your boundaries as well. So you know what you're comfortable with and you can stand firm on that. So it won't impact you as it would as if you wouldn't, if you would have tried to forgive them first and not be ready because then you're more likely to just fall into that quicksand. You are. But again, the reality of it is that, yes, you, you're strong in who you are, but you're still a recovering codependent. So when they say these things, your first reaction is to, uh, you know, want to cave because of what they said or what they did. And then you immediately start second guessing yourself like, oh my God, who do I think I am? I didn't deserve to be forgiven. No, no, no. When you're moving in the right direction, when you're practicing mindfulness, you're going to feel that. But then that's the time you take that extra one second and go, okay, I'm feeling that, but that's not the truth. I'm not doing that anymore. And therein lies your strength. So after all that, do you think you are still codependent? (laughs) No, I'm not codependent, but I have codependent tendencies because I just believe, like I said a long time ago, an alcoholic is always an alcoholic. Those thoughts come in my mind now, but instead of thinking for an example, oh my God, she's doing that again. Now I'm going to have to do this and that and that because this is going to happen. Now I'm able to say, oh yeah, oh well, she's going to have to deal with that. I'm not dealing with it. That's her stuff. Not in a hateful way, 
But in a, I've gotten stronger and I'm not falling that, for that anymore way. After her book was published, Jeanette initiated a blog relating to the book. It's called Codependency Central. And she has recently begun a series on Amazon's platform Vela, where each article takes one aspect of the subjects in her book and expands upon it. She now coaches individuals on how to live with and get beyond codependency. Thank you for coming back for another episode of Sierra Unraveled today. I hope you learned a little or a lot. And as always, stop letting them unravel you because only you can unravel yourself.